0: Good morning. Uh, We are at James chapter 3 this morning. You guys have had the opportunity over the last few weeks and in the next week to get to know all of the pastors here at Calvary. TJ kicked off with you Sunday. Uh, Kevin then began our series in James with chapter 1. Garrett and Bobby had chapter 2 the last few weeks. I have chapter 3 and then Pastor Paul will be chapter 4 next week. We have an amazing team, a staff of pastors that love the word here at Calvary and I'm honored to be part of that. So let's dive into James chapter 3. The overarching theme is taming the tongue, something that all of us uh, at one point or another get in trouble with. We just got back from vacation a few weeks ago, and uh, I was able to, in one sentence, turn our vacation into, wow, this is an awesome vacation to, why did you say that? I don't know if you've had that experience, but we're getting ready to go on a little day hike, and Wendy had two backpacks, a big one and a small one, and in my brain it sounded great to just say, you know, you should probably take the smaller backpack because it would be more comfortable on the bikes when we're gone. But what came out of my mouth, my mouth was, you're not going to take the big backpack, are you? Kind of insinuating that that would just be stupid to take the big backpack. And I feel like sometimes that happens to us. It sounds good before it comes out of our mouth. And then when it comes out of our mouth, we realize, why did I say that? So James chapter 3, if you want to stand, we're gonna, I'll begin reading in James chapter 3 and verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, though they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison." With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings, blessing, and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevines bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. But the wisdom that's from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, Willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Go ahead and be seated. I'll pray and kick off our time. Father, we just, we love your word. We love it. there's times when it's uh, encouraging and building us up. We love when there's times when it is speaking right to some area in our life. And the tongue, Lord, all of us, we struggle. We speak about people behind their backs or we speak too much. Um, Lord, I ask you you use your word to just encourage us, build up our body, and uh, heal us if there's things inside our hearts that um, our tongue is just a, just reaching into and taking out of our hearts. So bless our time in the word, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, James chapter 3, pretty easily three different sections, verse 1 through 8, the power of the tongue, uh, verse 9 through 12, the problem of the tongue, and verse 13 through 18, the source of the tongue. So verses 1 through 8, the power of the tongue. The tongue is powerful both to direct our lives and to hurt others. So there's two things about the power, to direct our lives and to hurt others. But before James talks about horses, ships, and fires, to illustrate how surprisingly powerful the tongue is, he addresses those who teach the word, those who stand up and teach. James is saying, verse 1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. James is saying that if you aspire to be a Bible teacher, uh, you'll be held to a higher standard. The point is that teachers have influence and that because of that influence, there's a stricter judgment. And we need to be careful with what we say. I think he's especially referring to people like myself right now here. Obviously, he's teaching the word, but also to those that are teaching our children or teaching our youth or teaching in small groups. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Encouragingly, James also says we all stumble in many things. And when he's talking about being perfect, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about being equipped for the task. The person that's a good teacher is going to be somebody who's maturing in their ability to control their tongue. Martin Luther said, be careful with the tongue. It's in a wet place and it's liable to slip. Be, be careful with the tongue. Occasionally, people have asked me about getting into the ministry. And I've, I've responded pretty much the same. I said, it's great. Um, there is a higher standard and there is a, a challenge if you get into the ministry. But in so many ways, I think it's a good thing. I came into the ministry 33 years ago, pretty rough around the edges. If you think I'm rough around the edges now, I was even way so, more so then, and this pressure, I wish Boeing and Microsoft had this pressure, say, hey, we're gonna hold you to a higher standard. It's so been many times when I'm preparing a message and the Holy Spirit's convicting me I need to get something right. And that's just been a good pressure in my life for these thirty-three years. And and bottom line, no one wants to sit and listen to somebody who's teaching whose life isn't either consistent with what they're teaching or they're honest about the struggles that they have. So I, I believe that's a great encouragement, the first part. So now he's going to talk about bits and rudders, bits and horses, mouths and rudders. Uh, verse 3, indeed we put bits and horses, mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. I know absolutely nothing about horses. I've ridden a horse about three times. First time I ever rode it was one of those at the beach that are in a the corral. They're like the really old horses that don't want to go for any long walks on the beach. So I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, he's not going to do it. He's not going to obey me. He did. I got on it, never ridden, kind of. Of course, he was a lot faster going back to the stable than he was on the way out. But <laughs> the horse, even today, is a symbol of power. What do we gauge engines by? Horsepower. And James is saying that this magnificently powerful animal is controlled by a little tiny piece of metal in his mouth to the point that the animal goes against what he wants to do because he's controlled by that, that bit. What we say has profound impact on the direction that our lives take. The word is powerful to direct our lives. Um, sometimes we'll be, someone will encourage us or be talking to us and they maybe challenge us with something and we respond defensively. And we say something, one short sentence, one short few words, no I didn't, or I know that, and immediately the whole direction of the conversation goes from an, a building up an instruction to a surfacy, shallow conversation, because our tongue said, don't talk to me about that. Uh, the rudder is such a tiny little thing on a big ship. Wendy and I were in Anacortis, and we were getting coffee in the mornings, and we found this one... Uh, Boat dock that never closed the gate, so we could drive into the boat dock and drive right down to where the boats were lowered in and out of the water. But sitting there drinking our coffee, we were surrounded by boats and dry dock, ships up in Anticordus, giant ships with little teeny rudders. Great illustration. Our tongue's about two inches long, and it can c- controls the whole direction of our body. Um, I also was kind of, I don't know why, but the part of verse four it says, Look also at ships, although they are so large. And they're driven by fierce winds. You know, the ship is huge and it's got a little tiny rudder. But the windstorm that the ship is going through could be miles of a turbulence. And that little rudder is not just not just directing the ship, but directing it through the giant windstorm. And really, in both in both these examples, the question is: who's at the helm? Who's got the reins? We're going to look at that as we go through. I think James works through it in the chapter. So the power of the tongue. Tongue's powerful both to direct our lives, the rudder, the the bit. And now he's going to talk about the power of the tongue to hurt others. Fire. Verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member, boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Strong language, a world of sin. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles or makes unclean the whole body. And this little thing here, there this little words here to say, and sets on fire the course of nature. Man, the commentary all over on, on that. NIV says, sets on fire the course of one's life. And in the, in the, the commentators are always talking about some sort of wheel. Like there's a circular pattern to our life. It sets, sets on fire the circular pattern of our entire life. And it's set on fire by hell. Um, I was a little confused why he says the tongue is a little member, and the first thing he talks about is boasting. Well, we're all boasters, right? I mean, to some degree, another fisherman, whatever. But boasting doesn't seem to be the problem when it comes to the the tongue and fire. Gossip seems to be the fire. You know, I say something about somebody, and then they say it to two other people. That seems to be the explosive thing. I mean, I think of Fourth um, of July, a few years ago, we were all, a bunch of our families were together and we were, we we're, you know, the kids were all lighting the fireworks off and we we're just sitting watching and one of the kids lit one of those boxes of bottle rockets at one little match and each one of the bottle rockets starts going crazy. But he got nervous and as he lit it, he knocked it over and he knocked it towards us. <laughs> so we're all sitting there watching, the next thing you know, it's like an, it's like an attack of fireworks and it wouldn't have been that difficult if it hadn't been that I think Charlotte's mom, we all went away and hid behind the glass, but Charlotte's mom just sort of sat there as the bottle rockets were shooting by her. There's this, there's this power of fire, and that's a lighthearted example. I mean, fire, man, that is so destructive to completely wipe out. And I would have talked about gossip, but boasting is sort of similar in that boasting, we want to make ourselves feel bigger. Why does gossip so tasty? The Bible says it's like a tasty morsel. Because in our sinfulness, that's how we can feel bigger is making other people feel smaller. That's why it's such a fire. And he uses strong language. I mean, defile, course of nature, one's life, the, the set on fire by hell. That's the word Gehenna, which is the, the example of the burning of garbage outside Jerusalem that never ended. This is is strong language. And I ask the question, even if you would, look at verse 15 in the same chapter. Because in verse 15, he even says a little bit more about this wisdom from down below, from the earth. He says that the wisdom from below is earthly, sensual, demonic. And I don't know about you, but I'm not one that, uh, you know, I have enough problems with my own sinful heart that gets me into trouble. That I'm not looking to blame demons for everything that I do wrong. But in this case, he's talking about words and the depth of how much we can hurt people with our words. Um, I look at the things that are most important to us, our families. Uh, There are people today probably here that have been hurt as children when they were vulnerable by the words parents who didn't speak words of life. I I grab my grandchildren and I hold them in my hands and I, I sing Jesus loves me to them in their ear and there's this fountain of life. And there's kids who, who didn't experience that. And that, there's, there's a demonic fingerprint on that. I'm. Mean, I look at ministries, there's people who, who are doing great ministries. And discouraging words that we can speak to them can make them want to quit the ministry. I mean, I think there's, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional about it. But I, I think there's a point when we were headed to the field as, our, as missionaries in the very beginning. And somebody shared something with me that just discouraged me so much about the work that we were starting out in. And uh, in 18 years of of being missionaries, church planning in Panama, there were times when those words would make their way back into my head when I was most discouraged. There's a demonic fingerprint to that. Or even people that leave their faith. I think in our church, there's times when uh, there have been people that they've just had it. And that's, there's, sometimes it was somebody in church that said something to them. So I, don't, I didn't mean to get so emotional about that, but there's this, there's this demonic side to the way we can use our words that can be so hurtful. Um, just to contrast that, we just sent Andy and Suzanne off to Morocco as missionaries. We invited them to come into our staff, uh, chapel time. And as we were praying for Andy and Suzanne, different people on our staff were sharing scripture with them. She's praying for them, praying over their ministry, praying over sending them out to go to the field. Man, we can our words can have such a great influence, but they can also be powerful to injure. And his point in verse uh, seven is we can tame we can tame any animal, but we can't tame the tongue. Every kind of beast, the lion, the birds. I've been to a, I've actually been to a a bird show where little birds. Road bicycles, we've tamed the birds, we've tamed reptiles, we've tamed creatures of the sea, Shamu. I was in a small village in Panama one time, and I saw a cat that was tied to a pig. And I thought, I mean, I've had some issues with cats, and I thought, the cat probably did something to deserve it. That's what I thought. <laughs> but I, I asked the guy, I said, what, why is this cat tied to a pig? And the guy explained to me, he said, well, there's vampire bats and they come in at night and they'll attack our flocks or our, our, our herds. So we tie the cat to the pig so that the cat will attack the, the bat when it attacks the pig. I went, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> but we can tame animals. But we can't tame this little muscle that's in our tongue. And, you know, it says we've tamed every kind of beast It's hard not to think of the lion tamer, right? The mouth pulled open and the tamer sticks his head in the lion's mouth. And, you know, the lion instinctually is going to eat the tamer. So everything about that lion is going against his nature. I think the sad part is that inside our nature, our old nature, is an instinctual ability to use our words in a way that hurt others. And that's what he's going to talk about. If you look at um, verse 9, we've talked about the the power of the tongue. Now he's going to talk about the problem of the tongue. And the problem of the tongue is so simple. The same tongue, we just worshiped, we were singing songs. We get in our car on the way home and start talking about somebody else. And just, did you see what they, and it's like we can just tear them down totally. And it's the same tongue. Verse 9 says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought, these things ought not to be so. I don't think James is condemning us, because he just told us in the first chapter, what did he say? We all stumble in these things. I don't think he's condemning us. I think he's trying to inspire us with the illustration of a spring. I mean, Peter was worshiping Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And later, cursing and saying, I don't even know Jesus. We, I don't think James is condemning us. He knows that our heart struggles with this, and he uses the example of a spring. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Uh, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Many of our neighbors where we lived in Panama in a small village got their water from springs. We don't understand that because we get water out of our spigot. Or we go buy water because we don't like the taste of the water that comes out of our spigot. The spring for the person that lives in an isolated area where that's their water source. Such a cool picture. Going down to the spring. Water's bubbling up out of the the ground. It's filtered naturally through the sand. It quenches your thirst. And if you get to the spring, and the spring has has been dirt spilled in it or something worse spilled in it, and you're just disappointed. But if you get to the spring, and salt water is coming out of it, you're not disappointed in the taste. It's worthless. Salt water coming out of a spring where you go to get your drinking water, completely worthless. And I think James is trying to inspire us. The next time we're in the car, and we're all guilty. I know I'm guilty of this. Or maybe it's on your walk around wherever and you're talking about somebody behind their back. Uh, John Jenkins said, uh, I watched one of his videos, he said what we kind of heard before. But he said, if you're talking about somebody, with somebody, about somebody, and neither one of you is part of the problem or the solution, that's gossip. I think he's trying to encourage us. Jesus said in John seven thirty eight, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's really the whole direction that James is trying to go. That We'd be so excited when we, when we speak and we see this, be- this beautiful stuff bubbling out of us that we'd be kind of repulsed by when we speak evil of others. So I think we're going to turn the corner now In verses 13. He's going to talk about the source of what goes on, what comes out of our mouth. Uh, the source of the tongue is the heart. So if you're trying to control your tongue... If I'm trying to control my tongue, it's humanly impossible, especially if we think the tongue is the problem. It's what's inside our heart. Our heart is, it's like a bucket. If you dipped a bucket down into your heart and pulled it up, whatever's in your heart, that's what's going to come out of our mouths. So Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks so let's look a little bit at uh, verse 13 and in this whole idea of wisdom because I think there's the source of what's coming out of our mouth is either a worldly wisdom or a wisdom from above and he's just going to lay it out and kind of do a little heart surgery I hope you're okay with that because some of the things he's going to talk about I think are a little bit going to touch a little bit of a personal nerve here so who is wise and understanding among you some commentators think that's talking about teachers again So he's bringing it back. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness. Jesus said, I am meek. In the meekness of wisdom. And then this is where it just, for me, it just hits the nail on the head, the whole chapter right here. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Envy is what everybody on staff has when it comes to Bobby's cool cars. Amen? Those that are on staff, Bobby has cool cars. We all would like to have cool cars like Bobby has. Envy is when I'm not content with what I have because what somebody else has is so cool, and I just can't seem to be content with what I have. When you add bitter to envy, you create a toxic environment that we've all done. I know I have done this. Bitter is I'm not content with what I have because what they have seems cooler than what I have. And the way they got what they have was unjust or cruelly hurtful to me. And there's this combination, this toxic combination of bitterness and envy. Bitterness is like a root. So it's connected deep down inside of us. And you put bitterness and envy and self-seeking in a heart, which all of us have struggled with that. No wonder toxic stuff comes out of our mouth because that's what's in our heart. And then, really, this is, this is so clear. I mean, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Remember Sandra Bullock when she says in, in, in the blind side, she said, don't you lie to me. We lie because we don't want to admit that we have bitter envy in our heart. And that's the only way to get free. The only path to have control over what we say out of our mouth is to have control over what's in our heart. And the only way to do that is for God to do a work in our heart. I personally think bitter envy because I know I've struggled with that in my own, in my own walk. I think, it's, I think it's like the toenail fungus of heart problems. Now, I know that's a little bit of a, of a bad example. But for anyone, I have anyone that's had that, you don't put like one drop on a toenail or on a fingernail that has fungus and the next day it's like, oh, gone. Bitter envy, sometimes it's every day. God, I admit that. God, I admit that. God, I admit that. Week after week, maybe. But that's the way out. That's the way to deal with it. Bitter envy. We lie against the truth. And it says, it says that the wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly. Only think about what's here on the earth. Sensual, unspiritual, and demonic. Powered by and controlled by the powers of hell. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. So this whole idea of earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom can get you some cool stuff. Right? Amen? Earthly wisdom, we can get money. We can build giant things. We can get great fame. Earthly wisdom, we can get some pretty cool stuff with earthly wisdom. But the, the telltale sign, it says uh, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, when, when, it, when we're just functioning on, on all the wisdom that comes out of our heart is, is worldly wisdom, there's confusion. Confusion about what is really going to make us happy. But the wisdom that's from above, and this is kind of the culmination. I think this is what we need this morning. I know I need it, is heart surgery. God, I admit, there's things, the stuff comes out of my mouth, the negative talk about other people, the, um, I need heart surgery. And this is what God is a specialist at doing is making this what's the source in our heart. Making this what's the deepest, strongest, moving thing that, that we're being driven, what's coming out of our mouth. Uh, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Talking about a lack of sin, not sinless perfection, but a dealing with sin and good motives. As we're, as we're, as we're responding to God's light, he's filling us with the Holy Spirit. And our motive for doing stuff is to glorify God. First pure, then peaceable. You know, not all the anxiety and the worry and the stress and the God's wisdom. There's a peace about what we're doing, a peace about how we're treating other people. Gentle. I mean, just the opposite of speaking evil about somebody behind their back. Willing to yield. I think that's important. Not stubborn. You listen, you listen to reason, you listen to what people are saying. And you make a wise decision if you should give in, back down. Say, yeah, that was a better point. This is, this, is the, this is what great conversation comes out of our mouth when our heart is filled with this. Full of mercy. Man, if you and I are not quick to want others to get the punishment that they deserve, there's such grace that flows out of our mouth. When we're sort of, ha, 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 he's going to get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not being filled with the rivers of living water and good fruits. That was what Bobby talked about last week. I thought Bobby nailed talking about how our faith transforms our lives and then good fruits flow out of that. Without partiality, core Christian value to who we are to who Jesus was is that we're not biased towards people we're not partial towards people and without hypocrisy you know, that was the case you lie against the, the case of the worldly wisdom you lie against the truth you are filled I am filled with that and I act like I'm, I'm not filled with that so let me make uh, four uh, applications and then I'll close with a, a story about uh, Winston Churchill's wife Clementine, told when her husband was uh, really under pressure in World War II. I mean, the bombs were blowing, blowing up in England, and Winston was having a hard time with his tongue. And I'll read a letter, and then we'll pray. Maybe the Lord will work in our hearts to just do a great work. So four simple applications. Number one, we need a filter. We need a filter. A woman once came to John Wesley and said she knew what her talent was. She said, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. I speak my mind. And Wesley replied, I don't, I don't, I don't think God would mind it if you buried that talent. Uh, saying everything that comes to your mind, not a good idea. Proverbs, I'll share a couple of Proverbs on these. Proverbs 29, 11. This is a great verse. For those of us that speak too much, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds him back. Number one application. We need a filter and that God's Holy Spirit would be that filter to to let us know. Is that coming from worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Number two, zero tolerance for gossip. Uh, Proverbs 26.20 says where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Duh. Right? When the wood's gone, the fire's done. The fire goes out, and where there's no tailbearer, strife ceases. So number one, we need a filter. Number two, zero tolerance for gossip. Number three, this one hits close to in my life a little bit, uh, no nagging. No nagging. Okay, nagging, um, I can describe it because I'm pretty good at it. You ever want your spouse or your friend or your coworker to do something so you kind of tell them what you want them to do, and they don't do it. So you think of a creative way to say the exact same thing in another way. But basically, you're saying the exact same thing just another way, and they don't do it. So those of you that are naggers, what do you do? You come up with another way to say the exact same thing. And about the third or fourth in, uh, creative way of nagging, then you bring out the heavy artillery and you sort of lock and load and you begin to da 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 just continually repeating what you want them to do. Look at, look at Proverbs 26-20, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 10-19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Now some of you guys are, are super quiet, you never say anything. I get that. but some of you guys, man, some of us guys, man, right? just just the talking and the and the nagging and the number one z- we need a filter number two, zero tolerance for gossip. number three, no nagging, and lastly uh. Speak words that heal. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but if you ever see somebody and you want to compliment them, something comes to your mind as a compliment, and you don't do it, I I don't know why. That happened to me a couple days ago. I had this compliment in my mind, and I wanted to say an encouraging word. I don't know, for some reason I thought, nah, I'll just pass on that. What on earth is going on in our heads? You have an instrument, we have an instrument that we can speak words of life anytime we want, at any moment, without being restrained by anything. We can say a word that could change somebody's direction in their life. Speak words. Look at the proverb. It's Proverbs 12, 18. Then the worship team can start to get ready to come up because we're going to close with the conclusion here. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There's one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. But the tongue of the wise promotes health. And man, I, if there's one thing I hope comes out of th- this passage in James today for us is that as negative stuff comes out, you recognize it, we recognize that negative stuff comes out of our mouth. That we're just reminded of a well or of a of a spring. The word in Bugletti, the, the people group that we lived with in Panama is called the Chi Guagua. Chi is water, guagua is eyeball, the eyeball of water that you think next time something comes out, man, this well, that would be just crazy for that salt water to come out of the well. So let me close with this quote. This is this is Clementine writing a letter to Winston during World War II. Winston's having a hard time. Okay, he's under a lot of pressure. I mean, literally, legitimately, bombs are landing in London. Uh, there was one point, I'm reading the book, uh, Eric Larson's new book that talks about this. I love history. There's one point where, Planes are getting shot down and they're landing in the golf course, and there's one point where one of the airplanes, one of the German airplanes, lands in the golf course and the golf course calls Winston's office and says, You gotta get this thing out of here. And Winston says, No, I think or not him, but the department says, I think we're gonna leave that in the golf course to remind all you guys that are playing golf, there's a war going on. Winston's under pressure, and Clementine writes him this beautiful letter that's it's been published, I think it's been read many times, but it says, uh on June 27, 1940, my darling, I hope you will forgive me if I tell you something that I feel you ought to know. One of the men in your entourage, a devoted friend, has been to me and told me that there's a danger of your being generally disliked by your colleagues and subordinates because of your rough, sarcastic, overbearing manner. It seems your private secretaries have agreed to behave like schoolboys and take what's coming to them and then escape out of your presence, shrugging their shoulders. In all these years, all these years I've been accustomed to all those who have worked with and under you, loving you, my darling Winston. I must confess that I've noticed a deterioration in your manner. You're not so kind as you used to be. It is for you to give the orders. And if they are if they're, if they're bungled, except for the king, the archbishop of Canterbury, and the speaker, you can sack anyone and everyone. Therefore, with this terrific power, you must combine urbanity, kindness, and if possible, Olympic calm. I cannot bear that those who serve the country and yourself should not love as well as admire and respect you. Besides, you won't get the best results by your and rudeness. Please forgive your loving, devoted, and watchful Clemmy. I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today in a similar way. I know he has to me over the last few weeks studying this chapter. Let's let God do heart surgery and create in us this great well or great spring of water. So as we pray, if you want to respond in prayer, you can do that. And afterwards, maybe talk to one of our staff. I'd love to talk to you. Pray with someone today. So let's, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, your ability to do heart surgery. Lord, not just... Uh, bitter envy, not just self-seeking, but whatever it is that's inside our heart that others are noticing is coming out of our mouth. Lord, do a great work. Take, te- open us up. Take our hearts out. If we've never received Christ as our Savior, give us a new heart completely. Lord, even just praying about being able to get together and celebrate something as fun as a baptism. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never never received you as their Savior and they, they want to change their, their language, their, what they say, Lord, I pray that they would be invited by you personally to have a transformation of their heart. For all of us, Lord, that we daily get ourselves in trouble with our tongue. Use your word this morning in a powerful way. and Fill us, Lord. Let every word that comes out of our mouth be under the control of the rudder the, the reins to the horse to the bit let it be under the control of your holy spirit so thank you for your word today lord we ask you to bless it now in jesus name